whole yeah. world. All right. hell were big loose. It doesn't have to. I, I, you know, the train is going down the road and, and I see the cliff, like, 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 like you just said. Let's put the brakes on. We know yeah. what to do. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Worldview. I'm Pietres. Worldview is a podcast where we explore everyone's perspective on all things that can broaden our worldview. If you've watched some of our previous videos, please consider subscribing, liking, and donating on Patreon. Today, we're talking with Uli Koch. Uli is the founder and president of Global Partners Investments, and in his capacity, has written a bill for Congress, conferred with approximately 15 presidents, ministers of finance, and ministers of commerce. Before that, he also held various top executive positions, like CFO of Dream Builders Incorporated, and founder and president of Global Partners Funding. Uli has a master's in business and administration and an honors bachelor's in science, in, sorry, of science in chemistry. He's also fluent in English, German, and well versed in French. Uli, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, Uli, I am, I, I've been told that you are a native German. You um, were born in West Germany uh, until the age of nine. Could you please tell us about our story? Uh, what, you were born in Germany and what made you come to America? It's probably probably a lot more interesting than you think. Um, it, 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 it was really my, my father. My father uh, was one of the top three people in the largest plastics and cable firm in Northern Europe. My father invented vinyls. He had the first five patents out on vinyls. Really? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, so big. It was really big. Um, here's, this is why we left. Um, my father is the only exception. Let, let me back up just for a minute. So post-World War II, the Wirtschaftswunder, you know, the, the economic miracle uh, mm -hmm. of, of the rebuilding of Germany economically. Um, what we don't realize is as the economy was rebuilt, we killed people. People worked 12, 14 hours a day, seven days a week. And it never ended. My father is the only exception of everybody he worked with either committed suicide or ended up in an insane asylum. That's My insane. father is the only exception. And wow. he left. He says, I'm not going to be part of this anymore. Um, so uh, as I said to you, the story is a little more interesting than, than, than you probably yes. thought. Uh, yes. Yeah, it was uh, brutal from a work perspective. Um, I mean, money, money was not an object. Uh, so within a few years after World War II, like we had chauffeur-driven limousine holidays, you know, driven. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, so when, um, when my father quit, he had to give six months notice. He gave notice on the day. And um, <laughs> he said, you know, we're going to Canada. And they said, well, you know, obviously you're not going to Canada. We know that's a lie because there's mm -hmm. no company in Canada that is advanced as we are. And so we know you're going to the US, we know that's a lie. And we wanna tell you categorically, money is not an object. We don't care what they offer you in the US, we can offer you more, because that's not right. the point. He says, uh, <laughs> you guys, you're not listening to me. I'm leaving, we are, we are leaving. Mm. And then they said, well, um, obviously you flipped out like you know everybody else with all the stress. <clears throat> so I'll tell you what, we'll give you a year off in a place in the mountains we will pay for absolutely everything. Your whole family will go with you. You have a year's holiday and you get full salary. 
and he said, "You're not hearing me. I'm leaving." Yeah. Okay. So it was it was a lot it was a lot deeper than that. It was the, oh, the yeah. psychological and stress. Also, I want to know why exactly was it just the pressure and, and the motivation to rebuild after the war that yeah. pressed people to such extremes? Or oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. I mean, the country yeah. the country was devastated. Right. And um, the you know typical German you know we can do it. We're fantastic. We're you know etc. Mm. That, mm. that that drive can be really positive, and boy, can it be negative. You know so. Yeah, no, I can, I can definitely imagine. I had the privilege of living in Germany um, for about a, a, a year, or rather two years and two separate occasions. Um, and the, the German hardworking spirit is definitely the, something that absolutely radiates in very much everything that they do. Yeah. Um, but I mean, in that time, I'm assuming there was more motivation than just simply oh, yeah. um, the German working spirit because you know there was also incredibly tense time even after so many years of conflict uh, oh, yeah. with the two warring ideologies um, and of sure. course you know, West German and East Germany being almost want to say the focus of the world between those two conflicts. Um, what was that like growing up until the age of nine and did that contribute to you going to uh, the Americas Canada first? I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know how to answer that. Um, uh, I mean, there were differences, you know, the East Prussia, the, the refugees, you know, just like we have trouble with the refugees today. Well, there were German refugees within Germany. Those are the ones that are coming from the East. I mean, part of Russia today used to be German. I mean, right. Germany lost so much territory as a result of the Second World War. Hmm. Um, and so those Germans flowed uh, into um, into Germany, mm, uh, West primarily Germany. West Germany, as much as, as they could. My actually, my whatever. We're really getting deep here. My mm. my mother and her mother, my, so my grandmother and my mother's aunt were were caught uh, in the Russian front in the Russian oh. uh, zone, mm. and they they knew they had to get out of there. So uh, they, in the city that they were in, it took them five hours to go two blocks to, to not get caught. And ultimately, they crawled on their bellies through a potato field, uh, through the front line between the American and the, um, and the, um, the Russian zones. I mean, it, it, it was bad news. It was really, really bad news. So. That, that's incredibly intense. It, it, that, that's something, you know, we obviously have so little experience with in my generation. We've we've come a long way and we've not really seen any, you know, war on that no, scale, yeah, um, right. even remotely. Um, that, that type of life experience in terms of the motivation to get out of East Germany, was that purely motivated by the stories they've heard, they've heard or was it the revenge? Sorry, I know this is quite deep, but this is extremely fascinating to something that, frankly, I want to say I'm quite, um, you know, unknowledgeable about. It's, it, what exactly is that motivation and like, was it just getting away from communism? Was it a political perspective? Was it a fearful life? Or was it a promise of a better future um, under a different type of political ideology? Well, I mean, my mother was raped by the Russians, so that was a good reason oh, to wow. leave. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, I've been to all those places. I, I've gone mm. back. I've been to where my mother was raped. I've been to, you know, I, I, went, I went with my parents. My mother actually had a, um, a total psychotic break while we were there, mm. which... I, I've never experienced anything like it. I, I couldn't believe it. <clears throat> um, so the um, it, it wasn't communism as such. It was the Russians 
You know, the, right. the, the two, the two, the two are not the same thing because communism yeah, proper didn't really develop until until afterwards in mm -hmm. in the way that we uh, understand understand it today. It was already developing, but it was not a, 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 a clear understanding. Um, and also, my my father was on the Western Front. My father was an American POW. Uh, when he calls it, he calls it the best day of his life. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah. He says, "Man, that's it. I'm out of this nonsense." You know? Oh, so, wow. Oh, yeah. Okay, so, oh, so 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 the conflict was so crazy at that point, so horrific, oh, yeah. being able to be captured by uh, oh. almost I, I want to say probably as you described, way more fortunate being captured by the Americans necessarily, but oh, yeah. being captured and kicking out of the conflict at that point was a great relief to them. Uh, oh, great relief, yeah. Okay. Yeah, my, my father uh, was actually uh, moved out of the Eastern Front. I mean, in the Eastern Front, basically everybody either died uh, or was taken captive by the Russians. Mm. I mean, the probability of you coming back home was next to nil. Mm. Um, I think five out of the hundred thousand that were in, you know, just outside of Moscow, ultimately in the, in the battle there, mm. 5,000 ended up coming back. Uh, I mean, like mm. it was just, so my father was moved just before then to the Western front, which probably saved his life. And then right. he, he was rapidly uh, caught by the Americans. He said, mm. that's it. That's <laughs> yeah, glory. No. Hallelujah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 And, and going and going from that, um, specifically your parents and also uh, once you were born in, in your first nine years there and moving to Canada, which, you know, uh, at least in terms of uh, aggression and, and actual bombing was quite unaffected um, by, by the war in that time. I'm assuming the culture and the people's mentality was something completely different. Did, did, did your, your years, your formative, your youth years there, um, having friends perhaps that, that weren't affected by it, didn't have the experience that you had and your parents had, that also, that also change your philosophy, your outlook on life uh, and made you as successful as you are today? It, it probably did in ways that I don't really know. I mean, initially it was very difficult, obviously. Uh, you know, I didn't speak a word of English. Uh, right. my, my, father, my father, by the way, didn't either. My mother had eight years of schooling. So for the job interviews, uh, my father very rapidly became very successful in what he was doing. But it, my mother would go to the job interviews with him because he didn't speak any English. Right, right. So, and, she, and she worked as his translator, basically. Yeah, well... Indirectly, you know, I mean, he right. picked it up very, 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 very mm. quickly. So just, yeah. just on that note, just a funny thing that, um, so my father invented vinyls. He was always on the forefront of what was going mm. on. When we moved to Canada, uh, within, I think, two years, he was in charge of pollution control for the whole province of Alberta. Uh, wow. And within a few years, ended up writing the manuals for the whole English-speaking world on both air and water uh, pollution. Right. And um, so, of, of course, got involved in in court cases, you know, with 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 companies. And uh, so, I would <laughs> I would get the documents in advance to correct the English and make sure it was all cool. And I mean, by this time, I was a teenager, and I was smart enough to realize, man, I could make a lot of money. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> if definitely. I, if I pass these documents on to the relevant companies. They'd pay me a fortune for what, you know, and I remember, remember reading this and I thought, mm. oh my goodness. I mean, of course I never did. But. Yeah, but you already had the entrepreneurial spirit back then. Uh, exactly. 
<laughs> oh, that's fantastic. So, so I mean, you picked up English pretty quickly then as well, um, along with I'm assuming within, school and uh, friends. I mean, I am t- within six months. I had no accent, nothing. You couldn't, you couldn't tell. Oh wow, yeah, no. I, I can definitely say right now, you definitely don't don't have an accent at all. So, it, oh, I, well. I wouldn't, you know, oh, aside well. from your name, I wouldn't say that you were um, a, a German at all. But um, it's it's interesting and amazing to learn. I I almost want to say that um, I'm assuming, you know completely acclimatizing to that, having the spirit and hardworking nature, did um, what you experienced in Germany and then uh, subsequently in, in the United States, did that affect your, um, your um, almost want to say political psychology there? Or wasn't it, like you said, it wasn't even political um, ideologies that affected you. It was actually more, you know, the Russians that affected you and the Americans that you were captured, that, that your father was captured by, um, that changed your political philosophy. Or was it formed later in your life? It's, it's really, you know, it's really hard to know because what, you know, what goes on inside of us psychologically and mentally, because uh, this isn't just a mental issue. Mm. Uh, and living with this, knowing this, <clears throat> and going back and having relatives in Germany and, you know, what they went through, um, um, really, it, it, you know, it definitely, it definitely affects you. Um, you know, I, I still remember... Um, I, when I was 21, I think 20, I don't know, something like that. I flew back to Germany and uh, went to visit my, my aunt, well, technically my great aunt, but it, mm. uh, we were very, very close to her. And, um, uh, and, and she was still going around picking up cardboard. Um, oh. I mean, not a whole, I mean, it's not like she didn't have any money, mm. but it, it's so, so part of the psyche. So you hit your hot water, you know, with cardboard and whatever. And I'm going, you know, you, you've got a automatic hot water heater, you know what I mean? Like, mm. Mm. but it's, it's, it's just stuck in there. You know, you, right. you, um, it, it forms you. And so how much of that formed me today, you know, it's, it's really, it's really hard to tell. Um, was it there? Yeah. You know, obviously, and my, my father was very smart and uh, it, I, I always had a very, very close relationship with my father. Um, and so, the, you know, and, and who he was and, and, and we, mm. we spent a lot of time talking. I, I remember, uh, my father taught, um, uh, um, teenage Sunday school at church. Oh yeah. And I was a teenager at the time. And, um, I remember my friends coming to me and said, I'd give my right arm to have a father like you because mm. he was open, you know, you could talk to him about anything. Um, and, and I, I know that really influenced me, uh, in, in ways that, that, you know, I don't know, they're really, really hard to tell today. Um, but I, I know it did, you know, I, I know that. And, and, and professionally as well, I mean, you've mentioned your father was the inventor of vinyl. What exactly was his background? I'm assuming it's not as clear cut as it is today in terms of a specific degree, but I'm assuming well, no, he had an, vinyl in, was in chemistry. Yeah. In advanced chemistry. Degree in chemistry. Okay. Okay. Right. And I, I, pro- I probably went into chemistry because of that, but I switched, into radiation chemistry. So I ran okay. a nuclear accelerator in, in, uh, in one of my other lives. That was a long time ago. So. But that, 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 that's fascinating. Could you tell us more about that? Sorry, I'm particularly interested in that type of technology. Um, yeah, we had, uh, there, there were three, we were working on electron structures. There were three labs in the world, one in the US, one in, in Canada, Edmonton, and one in Holland that were competing, you know, on in this level. And we were the only ones that had a, um, a uh, quantitative methodology. We could run everything through the computer and mm. predict what was going on. 
Mm. And um, you know, throughout my life, I mean, you know, it, it's God it gives all sorts of opportunities and puts you into situations that you really don't know what's going on. Mm. And, and then there are results that, that, are, that are really unanticipated. And this was one of those. Uh, I got in there. That's, I can tell you how I got in there, but that's, I, don't, I don't think that's that relevant right now. But um, I was given a series of experiments to, to do to prove that what we as a overall research facility had developed was true. Okay. I hate to be so crass. Your job, mm -hmm. here, here's another series, and this, we know exactly what the results are gonna be, and your job is simply to prove that we're right. You know? Well, mm -hmm. um, I ran, uh, <laughs> so I worked for several months you know, learning the system and all this kind of stuff. And anyway, I was the bottom of the totem pole. Uh, mm -hmm. So I was 21 at the time, I think. Mm -hmm. And the guy opposite me was 35. He had three kids. He was a postdoc. I was the only non-PhD at that time working in the facility. All right. Mm -hmm. So I was bottom of the totem pole. All right. So the only time I would get onto the nuclear accelerator would be Saturday nights, Sundays, you know, when nobody else wanted to be there. And I'd have to get the technicians to work with me because it always it took multiple people to run the whole thing obviously you know mm. and uh, so yeah so i worked for months now to finally get everything running and i got everything going and all that kind of stuff and um you know my saturday night uh, of course you know everybody else is gone and i grab a couple of technicians hey come on you know overtime whatever saturday night. okay great and i i run this thing through for the first experiment <clears throat> and um i am off by an order of magnitude I mean, a, I am so far out of whack. Yes. And, and, you know, Monday morning, everybody's just laughing, you know, saying, yeah. you know, to the boss, uh, brilliant guy, by the way, fantastic. A, what, what, do you, what do you got this kid in here for? You know I mean? Come on, the guy's useless. I mean, look at, look at, look at the crap. He just, come on, this is just, yeah. get this guy out of here. He's wasting their time, you know, all this kind of stuff. And of course, I'm totally depressed. <laughs> I'm yeah, no. No, but I have no idea what I did wrong. I mean, you know, I worked my butt off for months. And, um, okay, here we go again. So I start all over again. And this time, I mean, I am meticulous, man. Now I know what I'm doing. So instead of several months, I did the whole thing in, you know, I don't know, two or three weeks or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, because I had everything together. Oh, I, I got to tell you about the machine. Let, let, just wait, let me finish this story. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> and I ran it through, you know, again, on a Saturday, always Saturday night, you know, but this time nobody cared what they were like and I got exactly, exactly the same results. Yeah. And I said, I have no idea what's going on here. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, but I'm right. Mm. And you guys are all wrong. <laughs> mm. Mm. And um, <clears throat> then anyway, through continued working on it and ended up what I found out, I ended up developing three-dimensional electron structures. What we didn't know, I know this sounds really crazy. Right. But the math that we were, you know, the math gets so complicated. You cannot visualize it anymore. Um, like quantum mechanics, it, it, it just, you, you, you can't, you use operators that you know work, but mm. you can't visualize what those operators actually do. And mm. what we did not know, this sounds so stupid, everything, mm. all of our math was in two dimensions, those two dimensional math. Well, guess what? The world oh. is three dimensional. Was it because was it because the simulations were run in in, in two dimension? Because I know you, you ran the calculations first through simulations before you did the actual tests. Or the the math 
the mat, whatever, and quite finally, it's too, it's too long ago now. I can't remember exactly. But we mm -hmm. either reduced it down mathematically or never built it up. I can't remember which. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I remember um, years later when I, because I, I, I put it in my resume. And, you know, these days mm -hmm. everybody checks us on the web. And if it's, you know, if it's not on the web, it's not real. You're lying. Right. So I'm going around checking my name. I, I know I did this. I know this is real. I published. Mm -hmm. I published the paper. Where yeah. is this stupid paper, you know? Anyway, finally took a lot of, was not an easy find. I finally found it. Mm -hmm. And the mathematical formula that we used <clears throat> covered my whole computer screen all, 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 all the way across. And I'm looking at it, and just then my wife walks in behind me, and she's looking at the uh, at my computer screen. She goes, "What in the world is that?" <laughs> oh, she says, "Good grief!" She says, "Don't tell me that's the research you did." I said, "Yeah, it is." She says, "Do you understand any of it?" I said, "Not a word." <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. Not a, not a, not a word. <laughs> oh wow. But I mean, you, you, you were, you know, at the forefront, you were developing these incredibly interesting technologies, technology, technologies, but what, what made you switch to business? Cause I mean, this sounds like you were extremely deep into, into chemistry yep. and, and other types of research. Well, uh, I was a hardcore peacenik at the time and I ah. found out that the military was paying for all my work. Oh <laughs> yes. And I, I, I couldn't handle that. Um, no, so no, I walked out. That, that'll definitely demotivate a person. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Okay. So, and then you, so, you, what, what avenue did you take? Well, then, to I, then I asked the research director, I said, well, you know, give me a PhD because I've done, I've done right. everything. I've published. Yep. I've, what, mm. what do you, what do you want? You know? Yeah. A PhD by publication. Exactly. And right. he says, well, you cheated. What do you mean I cheated? What? The, the equipment, not the nuclear portion, but the, the chemical equipment that we needed it takes the average PhD student at least two years to build all that. First of all, to learn, and then to actually, you actually physically have to build this thing. Mm. And I didn't do that. What happened is when I walked in, um, the research director hired <laughs> two technicians twice my age for mm. me to build my equipment. And I remember walking into my room, here are these two guys in their 40s, and they're going, okay, what do you want us to build? You, you had to tell them exactly what to build. Oh, yeah. And I go, but then you built it. No, I go, I haven't got a clue. <laughs> so, I, you know, basically, said, look, go home and read a book, you know, I don't, whatever. Um, come back mm. tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was just stunned. And I'm going, yeah, Geez, I got these two guys working for me, you know. So I go back to the research director and I said, uh, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, oh, you know, didn't I tell you I hired these two guys for you? <laughs> What are they going to build? Oh, okay. Well, so get up on the, on the, um, <clears throat> on the blackboard and, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to do this. We're gonna, I mean, I knew enough, obviously, uh, you know, mm. gently, but uh, what were the exact specifications of, of what it is that we had to do? And um, so, so he outlined <clears throat> in, you know, graphically, not exactly what it would look like, but we got to do this and we're going to do this and we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this and we're going to do this and then you end up with this. Mm. Oh, okay. You got it? Okay, I think I can design that. That that I, I can design. I can't build mm. it. I'm 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 mm. not good enough. But no, 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 he says those guys will build it. You design it. Now you know what it is that needs to be done. So, so the next day they came back and said, okay, I got it all worked out. Here's a piece of paper. You got to do this. Then get to build this. Get to like this. Well, what about? Yeah, no, so, you know. So, okay. So, mm, 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 so mm. they, um, I know within I don't know a couple of weeks, 
uh, built what would take a fresh PhD student, you know, two years to do. Right. They, right. Were, they were professionals. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. So and, so and, and that why. was the director's reasoning as to why you cheated. Yeah, you cheated. So he said, "I'll okay. give you a PhD, but you have to hang around for another year and a half." He says, "And nobody, we have never ever done that." But hey, you've done it. So you got to hang around for another year. You can teach. You know, I can teach at the university, and you know, you can whatever. Uh, and then I'll give you a PhD. And I said, mm. eh, thanks, but no thanks." Mm. <laughs> mm. Mm. And 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 did, was that the point at which you started your master's in business administration, or or, or rather, what what made it pivot into master's? Oh, sorry, into business rather. That's what I mean. Oh, sorry. Um, <clears throat> no, I joined uh, joined YWAM Youth of the Mission. Okay. And uh, what what got me into business? Well, what anyway? Forget all the details. What got me in business <clears throat> is uh, so I've um, today I've worked in over sixty countries. So by that time, mm -hmm. let's say I don't know what thirty five, forty something like that. And I started realizing that um, uh, in, in the developing world, people are not stupid. Uh, people are not lazy but uh, they can work 10 hours a day, seven days a week and still have trouble putting food on the table. Right. And there's something fundamentally wrong. Uh, something isn't working here. And uh, I, I got more and more involved in finance anyway. The last five years, well, I'm pretty well everything I did was finance. But <clears throat> during that time, um, <clears throat> um, I started thinking through what what is the and I got more and more angry because I said right. what is the fundamental issue and people knew I was I was uh, grappling with this and um, and and so so they would say well Corch well what's the answer and I go I, I have no idea I don't know what the answer is and I had a, um, uh, a Christmas we we rented a large chalet in the mountains uh, for the whole family and mm. um, and you know I think you've got to have a time off. Um, for you to relax. And I had this massive download as to the whole monetary system and what the right. problem was and why it wouldn't work and all that kind of stuff. Then, um, then, then I went back and, and uh, did, did, did my MBA um, in, um, in economics and mm -hmm. um, trying try to get more of a uh, hardcore handle on, on sort of the, the, the theory side of it because I knew I was right. shooting too much, shooting from the hip. You know. Yeah, and I mean, you, you having having a background in science, I know this from a couple of other people that, you know, they may have started in engineering or science, um, and they, they got this concept, uh, sorry, sorry, this way of thinking of thinking from first principles, thinking from fundamentals, when exactly. tackling a problem, right. and then going yes. into business, they're actually very successful because of it, because yes. they were able to boil the problem down saying, you know, what exactly is wrong with us, right? and, then, right. and then, then building it up from that point and forward. I'm assuming that gave you a great edge in, in, in terms of thinking. Oh, yeah. um, and that's yeah, yeah. that's what that, that's what kickstarted it. I'm assuming. Yes, yes, very, okay. very much so, very much so. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we 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 see a lot of that today. I mean, one of the most famous examples that I like to quote a lot is, of course, um, I don't know your opinions on Elon Musk, but he's definitely as well, you know, a physicist first and engineer, and yeah. that's why yeah. in his business yeah. he also thinks from first principles. But I'm um, taking a bit back and taking from your experience um, and obviously your, your great knowledge about. Um, West Germany and its development. Uh, there was um, you, you mentioned uh, your your aunt or rather great aunt collected you know cardboard to be able to heat her water. I know from my grandfather who also lived on a farm. He was here in South Africa, but they actually had um, Italian uh, POWs sent to his farm to work there 
uh, as right. part of what happened in the war. And, you know, my point being is, is that during that same period of time, the time of the Great Depression and so on, and economic regression, these people scratched together whichever resources they could, right. and then we saved everything. They worked with everything. You know, there was, it was such a specifically, um, you know, difficult time that it, it ingrained in their memory. But it was also a time of social welfare programs starting to become more common, something that we have, you know, every day today, then was the thing that really got started. And I know that um, the U.S. had the big social, I think it was the Marshall Plan uh, in West Germany uh, to to help rebuild it afterwards. That's right. You know, do you think that social welfare programs such like the Marshall Plan and the ones that we have today and the actions of, say, you know, uh, companies or sorry, organizations like the Federal Reserve Bank in the, in the states and the World Bank in the world, do you do you think those actions during the Great Depression actually worsened the depression or did it improve it? Like, what, what exactly do social welfare social welfare programs do to affect those those types of situations? Um, <clears throat> let me, if I may, gently correct you. I, I would not put the Marshall Plan uh, together with social programs okay. that, that's, right. that's really different uh let, okay. let's talk about the depression here um <clears throat> there, there were there were there were two different um things which, which there always are so one is monetary and the other is fiscal right. and um i i think uh certainly on the monetary side there, there were huge mistakes made by the federal reserve because uh uh, coming out of the roaring 20s, you know, so the, the crash yeah. was 1929, the stock market crash, and then things kept on going downhill from there. Mm. Um, money, money was, was free and easy. And so, so the thought was, we need hard money. Uh, we need to get back to um, a, a, a debt system that was more stringent as to what we actually provide. And so what they did, what the Federal Reserve did is tighten up the money supply at the very time when a looser uh, system would, would have really helped. So they, 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 I think from what we know historically, they really amplified uh, the negative effects because right. of the hard money um, thinking at that particular time. And by the way, I'm, mm. I'm in favor of hard money. So this is kind mm. of, uh, <laughs> yeah. all right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> But the, the timing was, was really wrong. I, I mean, I, I'm not Keynesian in my thinking, that's for sure. Um, mm. However, I, I, I do recognize that at times of extreme difficulty, um, there are, you can, quote, sort of break the rules temporarily as long as you revert afterwards. By the way, and that's what Keynes said. Now, that's a part of Keynes nobody ever reads. They say, well, well yeah, you need the, the, the central stimulation, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, but Keynes very clearly said, and then when that's over, you got to repay this stuff. Right. Okay? Yeah. And guess what? Nobody does that. Nobody, no. nobody does that. Yeah. Um, debt builds upon debt. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the, the monetary side. On the fiscal side, then, then we're talking about social programs. Um, and yeah, uh, I mean, I mean we, we created the FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation during that time. Uh, we, we, um, the, the social security program came in place during that time. Um, and I, I, especially the FDIC, uh, is really needed under the current crazy banking structure. That's Mm. because I, I'm really against the current banking structure, but Mm. considering what we have, we have to have the FDIC. Um, 
what I'm advocating is a different banking structure where we don't need the FDIC. And, and a lot of the reg we can get rid of 90% of the regulation, probably 97% of the regulation, because right. the system can be self-regulated, but that's not mm. where we're going. And so while we are not there, we do need those things. Okay. Um, the, 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 you know, I don't know if uh, Walter Williams just died just a few days ago. Right. Um, who was a, you know, a lot of people think, so he's African-American, black, yes. black economist, uh, head of the uh, economics department at George Mason. And a, a good number of people figured he was the, the top economist in the second half of, of the last uh, century. Right. Um, and and, and he, he, he was very anti a lot of the uh, social programs, especially for black America, because if it, it is what puts you down. Uh, so, um, do we need safety nets? Yeah, I, I really, I really think we do. Um, they can be self-regulating also. Um, however, the, the way they're structured, uh, you know, I, I, have a, I have a lot of questions about a lot of them. What I'm advocating from a monetary perspective would actually replace probably 50 or 60 or 70 percent of those and create greater equality without redistribu redistribution of wealth right um this this is possible this has been advocated before uh during the great depression the chicago plan which what i'm advocating is 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 a modified chicago plan because our banking structures our monetary structures fiscal structures have changed since mm. the 1930s so obviously you have to you have to make some changes, but almost every economist in the United States signed off on it, saying this is what you need to do to break the Great Depression. Of course, it wasn't done. Right. Um, the The big banks killed it. The big banks hated it right. because they said, "Oh my goodness, you know, we're not going to make the same kind of profit." Right. Um, so, yeah, while we are living in a monetary structure that is crazy mm -hmm. then yeah we got to have some of those things so, but right. we don't have to have them if we would just change the fundamental uh you know the the, the fundamental system right sorry I, I just need to clarify uh, some of those things you mean the uh, fdic yes okay yeah, we, and then we, could you just shortly uh, just for the non-american viewers that that aren't quite as familiar with it just quickly describe exactly what does the fcidc do rather uh federal deposit insurance corporation is pretty well i mean that, that's the american name but the equivalent right. is in in all of the oecd countries sorry right. oecd the the 37 wealthiest countries in the world um mm. they they guarantee a certain level of bank deposits per um per account oh, and so since the 2007 2008 crash it's gone from 100,000 to 250,000 which is where it's at mm. today and mm. so um the underwriting of the federal government provides that. However, uh, the banks pay into it. So, um, so banks pay a, a premium every, every month <clears throat> to cover the, that default money, that, which is what the FDIC money really is. Right. Um, however, what's interesting is by law, it only needs to cover, I'm, I'm glad you're sitting down, I think you are, 1.15% yeah. Of all the deposits, how's that? Well, that's that's way too little. That's that's by far too little. So if 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 people default on their loans and there's a cash rush, then there's not even remotely enough to cover all of the debts. 
And that's exactly what happened uh, during the 2000s, okay. 2007, okay. 2008. So what All happens right. is the, the federal government, us as taxpayers, <clears throat> then get, get called in. And it right. took years, uh, I can't remember how many years, to bring it up to the tiny, tiny amount of 1.15%. Right. Like right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because it is only... such a ginormous problem, and the debt is so yeah, incredibly yeah. big. I, I oh, kind of yeah. want to know: Do you think that uh, that that percentage problem and the requirements that were set for it was that a mistake from um, the organization or, or, or the, the the group that created the FDIC, or was it was it the big banks as poor planning that they thought this is the amount that we need, so this is how much we'll we'll pay in to create that, um, that's that default? I, I, that's an interesting question. I, I really don't know. Uh, it. Um... It certainly serves the banks because it lowers their premium that they end up having to right. pay. Um, interesting. I, so, I, mean, I, don't know I mean, the, the incentive, yeah. the monetary incentive there then isn't there for the banks. Um, so perhaps if they're, since they're the ones that's supplying it and pushing it, perhaps they have some sort of, you know, leverage in terms of not increasing that premium, which, which, oh, which sure. obviously. Oh, I, absolutely. Oh, right. I'm, absolutely. Yeah. So th there's a direct incentive for them to not sure. obviously sure. rectify that. Uh, but going back to the crash, it's actually great that you mentioned it. Do you, do you think that um, the crash has since been rectified? The 2007 crash specifically has since been rectified? Or do you think that this will only be rectified once that, you know, you said we've, we've worked very, if you guys have worked very hard to get it up to 1.5%, it'll only be rectified by the point that that's, you know, <laughs> some, some sensible number. Well, the, the, question, the question is, let me, um, what caused the crash? Right. So in order to answer, have we solved the issues? And then we should probably talk first about what caused the crash. Mm. And, and I would say that the two primary issues are opaque leverage and um, complexification. Let's right. talk about those two. So opaque leverage. Opaque simply means you can't see it. Right. Okay. Yeah. It leverage is debt buildup. Okay. Mm. So, um, <clears throat> for instance, uh, the, the, let's talk about the banks. I mean, we're talking about subprime mortgages and, and CDO squared and securitization and all sorts of other things, which are part of the 2007, 2008 crash. Let me mm. just kind of simplify it. <clears throat> um, banks are massively leveraged and it's totally opaque. You have absolutely no idea. So, <clears throat> um, let's start with the deposit. So when you, right deposit $100 um, or pesos, you know, whatever your currency is, into, mm -hmm. quote, your bank account, what actually mm -hmm. happens? Well, if you read your uh, banking contract carefully, which nobody does. Nobody ever um, does. Nobody ever does. It says that the moment you deposit your money into your account, it stops being your money. It's not your money anymore. It okay. now, it is merged, it belongs to the bank, and the bank makes a promise. It says, when you want your money back, I promise to pay it. Right. But while I have your money, it's not your money anymore. Right. And so banks are the only corporations in the Western world that are allowed to co-mingle outsiders' money with their own money. That's uh -huh. a special... Nobody else is allowed to do that. You, you do that, you go to jail. Mm. Okay. So uh, on an equity basis, we do that. But when you deposit $100 into your bank account, that is, that is not equity. Mm. You now become, you know, we call it general obligor. That means if the bank goes bankrupt, 
you stand in line like everybody else because yes. quote your money isn't actually your there money. right does not exist okay and, so, and that promise is like how how strong is that promise is, is there a legal basis behind it or is it just well that's, you know we've, we've bankrupt that, so sorry but then we get to the fdic that's the whole point of the fdic right. Right. So the FDIC says, okay, I'll tell you what, <clears throat> um, if a bank goes bankrupt, then we promise to cover today it's $250,000 and the past was mm. only a hundred. Okay. Mm. And for different countries, it's, it's, it's different amounts. Right. <clears throat> it varies. Um, because, because the people who understand the banking system know that the money isn't actually there. Doesn't, mm. it doesn't, it doesn't exist. Okay. Mm. <clears throat> so that's the, let, let's talk about the leverage side. So then the, the bank that becomes part of the reserves. Um, man, we're getting technical here. R yeah, so it's it's very interesting. It's very important because most people, like you said, don't read this. They don't know this. No, this is important they, to explain. They, they have no idea. Yeah. Uh, we have a fractional reserve banking system. What does that mean? Well, first of all, it's fractional. What is a fraction? It's only a part. Right. Let, let's get into how much the part is. What's a reserve? <clears throat> a reserve is two things. It's either cash in the vault or deposits at the central bank, which in the U.S. is the Federal Reserve Bank, et cetera, et cetera, um, in, in, in different countries, okay? The combination of those two things equals reserves. So let's go back to the fraction. What is the fraction that the bank has to hold? Well, <clears throat> it's complicated. <clears throat> um, there isn't a single okay. number. Uh, legally in the United States, it's quote, 10%, except for this, except for that, except for this, oh, except right, for that, okay. except for this, except for that. Oh, by the way, and you don't have to have any reserves. So by the time you're finished, um, in actual fact, it's two or 3%. Right. Yeah. So when you deposit your $100, the bank holds $2 yeah. and $98 mm. go away. Mm. Mm. Where, where do they go to? Well, they invest them. Mm. Um, they go into all sorts of things. They can, they, they are allowed to um, le uh, leverage, they, they don't leverage it up. Uh, maybe later on in the discussion we would get to right. that. So that's the, um, <clears throat> that's the fractional reserve. That's the opaque um, leveraging that I just talked about. You mm. have no idea what your bank does with the money. Absolutely right. no idea. Absolutely. And do you also have no right to? No, I mean, you really specifically, don't. I mean, you don't, you don't, you can, okay. You, you can read their annual report. That's as much information as they're going to give you. Yeah, yeah. But you in know, practice, then you're at least to a far majority percentage, you're a shareholder in whichever the bank invests in. No, you're not. Okay, so you don't have any of the normal shareholder privileges? Absolutely none. You're a oh, general wow. obligor. <laughs> okay. So then you have extremely little amount of power. This, see, also um, more important. Also, it's important to note that uh, for the people that want to know more of the technical details, you wrote a book on this, didn't you? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Could so you introduce I'm, that book for us? Yeah, I'm just putting out my second book. Uh, as a matter of fact, I've got the galleys right here. I'm, that's what I'm. As soon as we're off this call, that's what I'm. I'm going okay. back to. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so the first book, uh, the next money crash dash, and how to avoid it. Um, that was a conference I ran at the Federal Reserve Bank. So um, back to what I mentioned 15 minutes ago, whenever it was, this mm. the chalet we had in the in the mountains. Um, mm. And so then, very shortly afterwards, I was asked to run a conference at the Federal Reserve Bank here in the U.S. Um, to go through this. <clears throat> and um, 
that conference uh, is the book, basically. Uh, there's some editing in there uh, because we don't talk the way we speak. Uh, I mean, right. we, we don't talk the way we write. I'm sorry. Uh, that's, so, that's what you mean. But it, but it, um, it says what, what, what people said. I put a video out on that. Uh, so the whole day is, is uh, concentrated into a 40-minute video, which you can go online. It's, it's on YouTube. Hmm. Um, and uh, if you go to my channel, which back, back in the days when, when I put that together, you had to use hmm. your email address. So it's youtube.com backslash ucorch, U-K-O-R-T-S-E-H. Okay. We'll also <laughs> link it in the description for anybody that's interested. Okay. Then go down the, the, the oldest video is my talk at the Fed. That, that's actually not that important because mm. that was a wrap up looking at social issues, which to me are really, mm. really important what this is all about. But right. the next video up, the second oldest video is the 40 minute recap of the whole day. Okay. And I've got every single speaker in there. Um, I mean, top people from around the world, uh, basically explaining, <clears throat> this is how the system works. This is what we need to do. And we're going to hell in a handbasket. Okay. Okay. And, so, and, and, and that's, and that's how to like, you, you, you said that, you know, what will be the next crash and how to prepare for it. That first part is how, you know, what will be the next crash and then how to right. prepare for it. You mentioned that these people talk about it. How prepared are we? Um, you know, very, very, I'm very unprepared. I, I assumed so, but I mean like what, what, I don't want to spoil the book because I think people should definitely go and read it. But um, you know, just in terms of saying, you know, how can people prepare? What is the level of, of, um, input and actions that they need to take that you could describe. Um, I'm, I'm going to get there in just a second. Most okay, of what right. I deal with is uh, systemic is, you know, mm. the country as a whole, <clears throat> but l right. l let's talk about, I think your question deals with individuals. Right. Um, our, our greatest fear tends to be inflationary because of the German, the Weimar Republic. Um, uh, let's see over a period of two years, yeah, maybe maybe it was three years. No, that was the a big crash. The exchange rate. This will blow you away. Yeah, the exchange rate to the U.S. dollar of the German mark went from four point two. Let's call it four, four to one to four trillion to one. What? Yes, over That's a period of two two and a half years, that, went that's... from four to one to four trillion to one but then that, that that money is literally not even dust worth it's well, it's, well the, the stacks of my I've, I've got a picture in the new book coming out which is a fairly yeah. well-known picture it's kids playing with stacks and stacks of money because the stacks of money was cheaper than the toys they could have played with oh yeah that's horrific i have an actual yeah. story in there the name the, the guy's name in there etc etc mm. who was mm. a well-off middle-class person in Germany who had saved yeah. all his life for his retirement. And yeah. He had a hundred thousand marks, <clears throat> which was enough for a whole retirement for his whole life at a, at a middle, middle, middle class. Okay. Right. He went, drew all his money out and bought what he could, which was a subway ticket. He could buy his whole life savings could buy a subway ticket. Because of that crash. Wow. He went, drove around the town, went home, and locked himself in his apartment. Right. And of course, everybody thinks at that point, well, then he committed suicide. No, 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 he didn't commit suicide. He starved to death. 
This was at the time the most advanced economy in the world. Yeah, that's that's scary. So this really familiar. this really meant something to me because my grandparents, somebody in their house in the basement starved to death, and I'm going, yeah, how can you allow somebody to starve to death? Yeah, well, there wasn't anything. Everything fell apart. Everything, nothing worked anymore. That's that, sorry, but that's such an alien concept for people that don't necessarily understand how these financials work. Because the one day you have stores full of food and apples, and the next day, nothing. Like how how exactly how how is that leap even possible from the one day to have no resource, from one resource to have no resources? That's that's it just, almost unfathomable. It, it just happened six or eight months ago. We call right. it a COVID, COVID crisis, and all of a sudden, <laughs> right. all of a sudden, we ran out of toilet paper. Oh, and I we see. ran out of, okay. and what, how, what, what, what do you mean? This is, this is ridiculous. Right, right. So especially with our, our JITS, you know, J-I-T, JITS system, just in time, nobody stores anything. I mean, right. I'm talking about commercially. Yeah. And so we're trying to bring some of that back. Every country is to a certain extent where, where they realize uh, the height of efficiency is very fragile. Right. The more efficient you become, the more fragile the system. Mm -hmm. And we, we have driven everything towards efficiency and such that food. So for instance, all of a sudden here in the US, you couldn't buy any meat. Right. How come? Well, because the meat packing plants, nobody stores anything. And yeah. they, they shut a bunch of them down because there were so many COVID cases. I mean, one meat packing plant alone, they had 370 people got COVID. Mm. And so you shut it down all of a sudden and you go, what, what do you mean there's no meat? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's 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 so, difficult. It's difficult to think that, or rather, it's, or I want to actually say it's easy to forget that if people don't make stuff, there are no stuff. People no make stuff, stuff. and if exactly. people don't get paid to make stuff, they're not really motivated to make the stuff, especially exactly. if they're forced to stay at home. So the motivation there is to have a type of reserve, like a, a rainy day type of situation, where if this thing happens again, that people don't starve to death. And that's, that's, right. that's the core basis of it. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you have, you have a situation where you describe now where you have one of the world's most strongest and wealthy economies, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, we have one of those today. And then within, you know, a couple of days, you describe the, the horrific situations that they have today. I mean, we, we hear a lot of talk, especially from people that, that aren't in the US and we, we follow some of the, some of the most, um, you know, talked about political issues. One of them is the, the, the debt issue, as you've explained. Yes. Um, do you think this will, you know, because it's, it, it's so immensely large, the problem seems so large that you really have to go down to the fundamentals to be able to solve this. Um, do you think this will ever be addressed? Because at the moment, from, from an outside perspective, um, both sides of the political spectrum are just keep on increasing the debt. Um, how do you address this problem? Uh, you asked several questions. Let me answer one of Sorry. them. Sorry. <laughs> will it be addressed? No not until okay. we have a crash, the crash will address it. Um, let, me, let me define debt. Uh, let, let me just talk about debt and then let's go back to the, the questions that you asked. Debt very simply is future production pulled forward. It's all debt mm. is. Okay. Mm. So the more debt we have, the less future production we have because we're, we're, pulling, we're pulling it forward. Right. Okay. So that's a problem. Um, that's one of the reasons why 
all of the major, the OECD countries, why their growth is going down and down and down and down and down and down because we've pulled all this stuff forward. How come we're not growing? Well, because we've already eaten that. Um, you know, as, as in Africa, uh, you know, the Africans would say, well, we, we eat that. Uh, yes. You know, it's like bribery, et cetera. It's, it's eating. Yes. Yes. Well, this is eating, eating the future. Debt is eating the future. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that's number one. We've already eaten the future. No wonder the future isn't producing very much. Mm. Okay. Now, ne next point. <clears throat> um, there are a lot of economists who are wrong. <laughs> there are a lot of economists <laughs> right. who, who say debt is not a problem <clears throat> because yeah. in our um, double entry bookkeeping system, every liability is an asset somewhere else. So we cannot have a debt without an asset. So therefore, don't worry about it. The two always balance each other out. Mm -hmm. uh, completely true fact, completely wrong conclusion. Right. Let me explain why. <clears throat> We're talking earlier about banking um, and how banking works. When, how do I say this in, in two minutes? Um, <clears throat> debt creates money. There is no money without debt. Okay. Right. The central banks, do not, we, we, we think that the Fed or your local central bank creates money. No, no, they don't. Mm -hmm. It's the commercial bank around the corner. <clears throat> what happens? Let me walk you through. So, so you, you want to um, buy a car. And so uh, let me, I'm talking from an American perspective. So let's say use an American manufacturer. We use Ford. keeps it all in, kind of makes it a little simpler. So I want to buy a Ford. <clears throat> I go to the bank. And I want to buy, borrow $30,000 to buy a, buy a Ford. Okay, fine. So the bank looks at me, court, yeah, okay, cool. That's, that's okay, fine. So they issue a contract, okay? That contract is an asset to the bank. The bank is now out of balance. Because they've already the given... Bank, sorry? Sorry, I mean, because they've already given all of the, the financials. They already have given the hard cash that they have. No, 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 no. Hang on, hang on. No, 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 right. no. Hang on. The, as the contract is an asset. They're out of balance. They need a liability in order to balance it to. How do they create that liability? They create it out of nothing. Right. They hit a few keys on the computer, and you now have $30,000 in your bank. And the bank is balanced. Mm. You've just created $30,000. Yeah. Now, most people think most people think it goes like this. Let me, let me walk you through it. Okay, so I want to borrow $30,000 at the bank. Um, writes, writes a contract for me. They then move $30,000 into my account from somewhere else. I take that $30,000. I go to the Ford dealer with some extra money. You know, forget about the extra money for the time being. Mm -hmm. And I pay the $30,000 to the Ford dealer. The Ford dealer pays the $30,000 to Ford Motor Company. Ford Motor Company pays the $30,000 to the worker. And the worker happens to be banking at my bank. Aren't I lucky? Mm -hmm. And that's where the bank got the $30,000 from, which went into my account. The only problem is that's a circle. It never came from anywhere. Mm -hmm. Think about it. I just created a circle. Mm. So, well, but, but, but where did the 30,000 come from? Nowhere right. within the circle. Okay, so what yeah. actually happens is what I just told you. It creates an asset. The bank arbitrarily on its computer says, Bing, it creates $30,000 worth of bank money, which I can yeah. now spend and spend. get more technical. But let me get even. So let's, so let's see what happens a year from now. I've got a really good year. I've got a right. really good year. 
and, and let's say that the bank charges me 10% interest, very high interest. It's a nice round number. Let's just forget about it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so a year later, I go back to the bank. Let's say I've made, I've not had to make any payments. And I say, Mr. Banker, I've had a fantastic year. I want to pay all my loan off. What happens? Well, what, first of all, what do I owe them? Well, I owe them the $30,000 plus 10% interest, which is $3,000. So I owe them a total of $33,000. So I give the $33,000 to the bank. What, what happens? Well, the $3,000, that is income to the bank. The $30,000 is destroyed. Because it never existed in the first place. It never existed in the first place. And it does not exist every time you make a principal payment on anything. If you pay your credit cards off at the end of the month, mm. you've destroyed all that money. Mm. Mm. Every mortgage payment you make on your house, every interest, every payment on your car, on anything that you yeah. owe, yeah. every time you make a principal payment, you are destroying that money. So what happens is we constantly have to have more and more and more and more debt. Because as the economy grows, assuming velocity is equal, which it isn't, but it's, it's a, for the, we, that gets mm -hmm. too complicated. Um, okay, as the economy grows, the amount of money in circulation has to grow. In order for that to occur, we have to have more debt. Right. That is what right. debt does, and it ultimately kills us. Let's go back to the economists who say debt doesn't matter because every liability has an opposing asset. That is true technically, mathematically. Mm. It is not true in reality for the simple reason. It is based on the expectation of a future capacity which does not yet exist. Right. right. And, and I mean, I always oh. want to say that, um, you know, this, this, this could also be exemplified, at least if you can tell me if I'm understanding it correctly, but this could be exemplified by people that take loans out against stocks. Because that's also oh, yeah. stocks Margin. in its essence, its okay. value is the promise of growth for a company. Otherwise, people right. wouldn't buy stocks unless yep. those stocks Absolutely. give dividends. But that's a different conversation. Yep. But my point being is that if you take debt out against stocks, then you hope that stock increases in price so that you can pay off that debt or exactly. at least maintains its price. So that's right. almost when I say it, and a, you know, a more intense version of creating money where there isn't any because you're, you're creating... Yes you're creating money on the hope for growth. And yet right. you've mentioned that these companies, oh, sorry, these countries have stopped growing because they've already ate right. the future. So this, yeah. this is almost want to say, you know, a train heading for a brick wall. It's, there really is, is no way to quite address this issue. I understand the, or at least I appreciate the, the seriousness of it now. Um, it just feels a bit futile. And a lot of, a lot of people, you know, they really want, uh, they, they really want someone to address this problem. People that, that, that realize this, they want to address this problem. And they, and they generally, of course, with, you know, any national size problem, they then look to the current presidential administration to solve that problem. Um, you know, it's uh, different administrations have said that, um, you know, it, there's, there's never a better time. I, th I think specifically it was Trump that said it's never a better time to borrow money than right now. Um, so they often give time as the excuse as to when to borrow money. Do you think the next administration um, can deal with it? Whichever, which one is the next administration? Do you think they can deal with it? Does just time will eventually solve this or they can maybe stop the growth of which we're eating the future and sometime we'll catch up no. with the future. No, no. it's political suicide to do it. Right. Um, it's like uh, Jean-Claude Juncker, the former president of the European union said, right. It's not that we don't know what to do. It's that if we do it, we'll not be reelected. 
Oh, <laughs> okay. So they have no incentive to do it. No incentive. Okay. The, the incentive okay. is all in the wrong direction. Okay. Politicians always want more debt. Right. It, 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 yeah, it, it makes them be look better in the short term. But I mean, yeah. that's probably the reason why in some countries where you have a debt system, but the politicians aren't interested in re-election, say authoritarian systems, uh, you know, Chinese systems, other, other type of governmental systems, they, address, they can address that problem because the long term is in their interest. Yeah, even there, they have problems doing it because ultimately, right. even in a totalitarian government, if the whole country were to turn against them, it wouldn't work either. So there's a, the, the, even, even though you don't have elections, um, there's, a, there's a certain sense where you do have to keep the population happy, especially the military population. You know? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, those are the ones that, that help them keep their power. Exactly, that's right. Yeah. 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 So um, you've, I, I know that you've recently helped, um, I, you can actually tell me how recently it was because I'm not exactly quite sure of this, but you recently helped the Swiss government establish a new Chicago-based system um, how did that work out? What exactly does that mean or entail? Uh, we, we tried and we failed. Um, oh, I see. That doesn't mean we will not fail in the future. Um, mm. uh, it, it was only two years ago. Uh, so okay. it was very, very, very recent. Um, the, the, um, um, uh, okay, forget about, um, and I, I can go into Swiss law as to why that is possible to do in Switzerland versus in many other countries. If you want, if you work in I can explain that. I was asked to come in and run a conference by Swiss people, uh, by Swiss people invited me because uh, they know what I do and what I've done in the past. And right. could you come and run a conference and bring in people from around the world, experts, and also some Swiss people as to what this is all about? And I said, yes, I will. Uh, but it, it has to be neutral. Um, okay. I will present, I will present both sides. No, not I will. Uh, they, they knew very, they knew very well where I, where I come from, but yeah. I will bring people in, um, from, from both sides and, uh, explain what, what this is really about. And, and mm -hmm. I mean, we hit the front page of the wall street journal. We, oh my, we were press, press all over. I mean, the whole right. world woke up and said, what in the world is going on? Yeah. <laughs> I'm really serious. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Wow. Um, and then ran a referendum and uh, we only got 25% of the vote. The, the media campaign was, was very poor. Um, wow. I, I, was, I was really upset. That's another mm. story. I was very upset. Uh, there were mm. some really bad decisions that were made. Mm. Um, and, and we only got 25% of the vote. What's interesting is a completely independent um, survey organization um, let's say two weeks, very shortly after the referendum, did a, an independent survey and found out that 80% of the Swiss population wanted what we were trying to do. But the Swiss population is based on a federal referendum system. If so, yeah, if they exactly. didn't vote for it. But because the media campaign was so terrible, they didn't oh, know what they were voting for. Okay, so the independent service system explained the situation better and therefore people made it more... Exactly. Okay, yep. but the referendum was done, so... Yeah. However, okay. uh, there are uh, numerous uh, cases where uh, the same thing has been run two, three times, several years apart. Right. Uh, and people slowly get the message as to what this is really all about. Uh, okay, okay I'll, I'll give you a really crazy example. This is, this is, very, this is very true. Yeah. In the midst of... So, okay, the, the legal, there's a whole, there's about a two year 
run up or you have to go through all sorts of steps mm. in order mm. to get to the point where you actually run the referendum. All right. Mm. One of the last steps is there has to be a debate in parliament. Okay. On the day of our debate, I am not exaggerating. They spent two hours debating whether cow's horns should be cut. And they spent 15 minutes debating whether the monetary system should be changed. That is a fact. Okay. <laughs> is, is, this, is this an example of the people's interests or their total you know, lack how of understanding? Uninformed they are? Or is it... Completely uninformed. Okay. So, and um, uh, e even though we had some, some top Swiss people uh, you know, working with us, um, the, the, me the media campaign was just awful. Okay. Um, it, okay. You know, pardon me. Pardon me, all so, my Swiss friends. If you happen to be watching this, I love you dearly, but it was really yeah. awful. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 so you said, um, because you said the whole world's media woke up to this and they focused on the situation. Um, yeah. If you said then that the media campaign was horrible, would exactly be a mean that, that did, they, did they change, uh, did, did they misrepresent the, the goal of the, um, of the New Deal? Or exactly, uh, why were they so poorly covered if there was so much media attention? The, 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 when I talk about media, I talk about global media. The, okay. the, the media campaign within the country was, was oh, terrible. I see. Okay. Yeah. The okay. global media, like, like the, uh, um, uh, you know, the, the one, one of the speakers I brought in was Martin Wolf, the um, chief economist for the, for the, finance, for the uh, um, right. Financial Times. I mean, people around the world people say, oh man, this is, wow, look at, look at this. this, this we yeah. really need this. And the Swiss were going, I don't know. I don't know. Really, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I gotta watch they, they this on a video, so I gotta watch what I say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they weren't informed. I understand what you mean no, in, no, in terms no. of that situation. So I, I, I want to know: um, Do you ever like you have stories like this, for example? You know, do you ever feel like your advice is listened to at all? Did you have other situations where it was it was much more successful and, and the media covered it properly, and, and a really objective decision could be made about it? Uh, very rarely. I, I have a I have a friend of mine who's worked for multiple uh, American presidents. Uh, knows personally quite a number here in the U.S. Quite a number of senators and, and House members, mm -hmm. you know, members of Congress. And and he he said to me multiple times. He says, "Uli, I cannot bring five members of Congress into a room who actually understand what you're talking about. Not even five out of four hundred and thirty, yeah. you know, roughly." Yeah. Yeah, he says yeah. they they haven't got a clue what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. There's yeah. There's. I almost want to say it's 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 a little bit of a state of um you know complex bureaucracy where they they they're consolidating the power. I actually have a quote. Um, I think there was a a libertarian economist. Um, Donald supplied this a libertarian economist Thomas Sowell that said mm -hmm. uh, while he worked for the state, um, he had learned that even with yeah. evidence, so even if they knew that they had the evidence um, that it would not be beneficial. So bureaucrats will still want to install programs to further their power, even if they had the evidence to do so otherwise. So, you know, do you believe that this is the case? Do, I yeah. mean, you, you just gave an example of it. it, it it's very much there in the political field. Okay. It's even there in the academic field. There's an enormous amount of obfuscation that I must confess must be delivered. I don't know how else to explain it. Okay. Um, I quote regularly from a piece 
uh, a, a number of central banks issue quarterly bulletins. The Fed does, the Bank of England does, uh, you know, et cetera, where, where they're always short uh, and they're for a broader audience, fairly technical audience, but still, still broader, mm. dealing with issues that they feel are particular pertinent, particularly pertinent to that at, at that mm. moment. Uh, th there's one put out just a few years ago by the Bank of England, uh, and it's called Money Creation in the Modern Economy. That's the actual title. Okay. And the whole thing, it, again, it's, it's, it's short. It's, it, you know, the, these things are always short because they want people to read them. This isn't a book. Mm. Mm. Three times in this short little piece, it says, we realize this is not what's taught in, the, in university textbooks. Okay. Did and they I'm just going, openly admit? You've got to be kidding me. And I quote, so the book, the new book coming out, I quote yeah. extensively from this one piece of, what's well, one bulletin they put out, right. quarterly bulletin. <clears throat> and right. I, I'm saying, yeah. And so help me to understand why even in universities, I mean, I've, I've taken economics courses right. uh, and they, they don't teach you this. Mm. Why do they deliberately teach what doesn't actually happen? Mm. And do, do, do you have any ideas, like in, in your book, did you explore that further? Or was it just bafflement at the, at the moment for why they wouldn't teach this important information? Uh, I think because it is so explosive. Okay. Uh, here, here's a quote, here's a quote from Henry Ford. So this was back Henry Ford. I mean, holy cow, what are you talking? I don't know what 1940s. I don't know when, yeah. uh, you know, Hey, the guy's been dead for decades and decades and decades. He yeah. said, if the average American understood how our bank, how our money system actually worked, there would be a revolution in the street tomorrow morning. Okay. But I have to know, do you think a revolution in the street tomorrow morning would solve that problem? Well, I think people would finally get so angry that they realize what we are being jerked around like there's no tomorrow. Like right. a significant portion. I mean, what, 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 what interests me about all this stuff? A significant portion of our social problems are caused directly by our monetary system. Right. Directly. Right. Uh, so so, so I, I was talking to, I have a, a friend who's one of the top um, a messaging service in the world. I mean, they're very expensive, but you know, I, mm -hmm. I, I said to him some time ago, I said, you know, if I had $10 million to spend on this, I'd say, I just want you to do one thing for $10 million, just teach the average American public that all of their money is created by debt. And if there were no debt, they wouldn't have any dollars in their pockets. And that's right. going to start waking them up saying, well, what the heck's going on here? What is going on? Mm -hmm. No wonder the rich get richer. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is baked into the system. I mean, I know, you know, personally, um, you know, a number, number of the Fed people and, uh, you know, excuse me, people in the Federal Reserve Bank and um, they're good people. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're trying to do the best they can with, with what it, with the tools that have been given them. Mm. They have the wrong tools. Mm. Mm. And it is not their purview and legally they're not allowed to change those tools. So yeah. that's not the issue. The issue ultimately is, is legislation. Uh, I mean, um, you know, for several hundred years, the, the word economics was never used. It was always the political economy. It was always, okay. the two words were always put together. We don't yeah. do it anymore because we, we now somehow seem to think that economics is a hard science, kind of like gravity or 
right. physics or you yeah, know yeah, yeah, me, whatever. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no, it's not. Yeah. It, it's well, so I mean, much. It's, anyway, go ahead. It's law driven. No, no, no. My my point being is is that humans are involved. So as someone that has a background in social sciences, the second right. you involve humans yep. in any type of system, it's it's not going to work out. You know, quite the way you think. So um, I, I want to ask a two-part question for this is, one, do you think that um, because the problem seems so um, like unsurmountable, like this, this is not an addressable problem, the debt problem, that it's actually easier for people to not understand this? Like even if well, you explain this, they, they oh, wouldn't yeah. want to understand this oh, yeah. because yeah. It, it's not an easily solvable problem. So it's not a one they want to have. No. It's, right. it's, not a, it's not a problem that most people can speak into. I, I, right, I do. right. Yeah. And do you think that that's something, because it is becoming such a, you know, even though it's a problem people don't want to have, it's becoming one that they can't ignore. Do you think that's something that will change under the, the, um, under the Biden administration? Mm. Oh, I don't think so. Uh, okay. if, if things get worse, then yes. Okay. So that, okay. Then we're, we're forced to, you know. Right. Uh, but... Um, no. Is, is, is this not something that's better dealt with proactively? So before it gets worse? Oh, oh my goodness. Well, that's why I put the first book out. Right. Say, look, you guys, you guys, it doesn't have to be this. We don't, you know, I, I, for years, I talked to people and I said, man, come on, we know what to do. We right. don't have to have this huge, and by the way, this time it's going to be global because we're all facing the same issue. It's not yeah. going to be a single no. country. I and mean, the economy is small. so intertwined by this. So intertwined. It's, It'll be the whole yeah. world. All right. hell were big loose. It doesn't have to. I, I, you know, the train is going down the road and, and I see the cliff, like, 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 like you just said, let's put the brakes on. We know yeah. what to do. Yeah. And I've come to the conclusion. So that's why the next book is, all right, let me tell you how to rebuild it. Right, right, right. So just, just say like, what is it? What, could, could, you, could you shortly describe exactly what is it that we're going to hit? What is, what is this where we're heading for that you described to? Is that just the complete crash of the financial system uh, like yeah, yeah for the really 18th is. time but even worse <laughs> and it can happen in an hour i right. mean an hour mm. uh, because it, it, uh, so just like in 1929 with the great depression it started with the stock market crash now with the electronic trading that we have uh i, I know we have we, we've got um triggers that stop it and all kinds of things but we can hit a trigger and we can hit a trigger and we can hit a trigger and the thing just just keeps on crashing right um and especially, uh, quite bluntly, ETFs, uh, exchange-traded funds, uh, mm. they really scare me. By the way, I like ETFs from the point of view of an individual investor. Uh, mm. they, they have a, an unbelievably low expense ratio. Um, but here's the problem. Okay, first of all, in the U.S., there are more ETFs than there are stocks. Mm. What? Yes, that's so, true. So is, is it just because that's the way the transactions are done, or how exactly is it possible? Uh, well, because, because each one, each ETF has a different specialty. Okay. Okay. And, and so you have, you can have more specialties and there are stocks that you can uh, invest in. And uh, that's currently the situation. Hmm. That's not what's really bad. What's really bad is people do not research anymore. Right. In the past, even within mutual funds, but less so in mutual funds, if you invest in an individual stock, you're going to research that stock. You can understand that stock. You can understand what it's all about. Okay. Then we go to mutual funds where you're going, okay, I'm still going to really kind of look at this. ETFs, people say, well, I'm just going to buy a technology ETF. Right. What's in it? I don't know. Right. I don't, it's, it's technology, man. Well, I'm going to buy a bio ETF. Well, what, what's in it? I don't know. Mm -hmm. and, and 
the amount of research that people put is less and less and less and less and less. Mm. So, okay. All right. So uh, you, you think you know what sector of the economy is going to do well and you buy that ETF. All right. <clears throat> All of a sudden, the price drops. Who's, who's, who's going to buy it? There are no buyers. Because yeah. yeah. when people are all into ETFs, they all sell at the same time. And so in my mind, ETFs are one of the biggest, uh, what I call force multipliers. It's not a trigger. It's a force multiplier. When it happens, it goes kabang. Right. Okay. Um, and, and by the way, I think ETFs are brilliant, mm. except for what they're doing for our stock markets. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's, um, let's go back uh, to a bit more of a, um, an international perspective. Uh, China currently has the Belt and Road uh, Initiative um, that I know you're quite knowledgeable about. If, if you could just shortly you know, um, explain to us what that is and then also why it seems like from my perspective, at least, they're giving a lot of free money away. Like, what are they getting out of this? Um, so, the, well, first of all, the Belt and Road is in some way similar to what the U.S. did uh, you know, 50, 80 years ago, where it's not hard power, it's soft power. So economic uh, interrelationships in order to build up your system. So, uh, and we initially thought we, sort of the US, uh, thought that that could be done with China, where if we increased the economic um, entanglements, entanglement tends to be a negative word. I mean that positively, the right. interactions, the economic interactions. We're going to increase democracy. We're going to increase uh, freedom in China. Exact opposites happened. Okay. So okay. people have finally come to the conclusion, no, that doesn't work. But China is doing the same thing with their Belt and Road. What they're trying to use is use soft power. Uh, so cultural and financial influence in order to um, have people like the Communist Party, like China as a government, et cetera. So that, that's what they're trying to do, which will help them directly, just like the U.S. will help directly by all the economic uh, interactions, but also helps them indirectly because of the system they're trying to push. Right. Okay. So it's a combination of those two things. So on the money side, there, there are two parts to this. Uh, one is that um, the, their terms are really quite nasty and right. they've taken the chinese have taken over a lot of the airports uh, uh, seaports etc that they built because the countries put themselves into situations where it's impossible to pay the debt back so yeah. um okay that's that, that works um that works for the chinese is what i'm trying to say it doesn't work for the mm. countries that that, no. that that get the money okay and mm. where does all this money come from well well now that you know money is created by debt it's not a problem. They're creating their own debt. Yeah. Because it is, yeah. it is a quite interesting situation where um, people seemingly think that, you know, the United States, because it's a very public system, we have a lot of access to your financial, your national financial um, information. We always have this big number, you know, the trillions of debt that the U.S. is currently in. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the second largest economy in the world, almost want to see seemingly soon to be the largest economy in the world, is not also running off of the same debt system with the oh, yeah. amount that they're spending in terms of what they're necessarily getting in. Um, how much do you think is the CCP uh, a threat to world stability since so much of the world's production? I mean, we've, we've seen it with the coronavirus, um, how that affected our stocks and different things that's manufactured in China. How do you think is that, how much of a threat do you think is that to world stability? Uh, I mean, 
today, my answer today, I would say substantially different than what it was, certainly what it would have been two years ago, even last year. Okay. But when I look at what's happened in Hong Kong, where they, they broke the treaty that they, they wrote, yeah. uh, I mean, category, I mean, massively. Right. Treaty, treaty, yeah. bidi, schnidi, bleaky, who the heck cares? Yeah. Okay. And what they're doing with the Uyghurs, uh, you know, I just happened to see a report literally last night uh, on, yeah. um, I think it was BBC News, as a matter of fact, where somebody got in there and took unbelievable picture, picture I've never seen before. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, the work camps that they're running, I mean, we've got a million people in there behind barbed wire. Yeah. Um, and uh, so is it a threat to world peace? Yeah, massively. And, um, you know, and I think, like I said, I, I'm much stronger today than I would have been, uh, you know, a, a, a short while ago. Right. Um, so you, you've, got, you've got two world powers, um, and one is massively ascending, and the U.S., um, I, I would say over recent, certainly it appears to have been descending. And that, that creates tensions, and those tensions um, um, are dangerous. Right. Um, Right. You know, hopefully, hopefully don't, we don't get to a shooting war. That would be really bad. But um, the thing is, sorry, but this is, this is such an important part that you mentioned right now, because there obviously is a lot of fear that, because um, I remember at the beginning of, beginning of the year, we had all of these, you know, threat, the looming threat, at least in popular media from a third world war um, after the assassination of a general in Iran. But, you know, there's a lot of more real fears, we almost want to say, between China and the U.S., but, you know, there's that golden rules that whoever has the gold makes the rules. So, you know, there's gold on both sides. They trade with each other almost, you know, they're interlocked in change in terms of manufacturing and, and financial and, and production and design. Would they ever go to war with something, with, with a relationship that is even as tumultuous as it is so lucrative? I sure hope not. Yeah, uh, and that, that's, that's, that's the hope that we're... Hoping is pushing yeah. it back. I mean, I mean, I mean, both both are nuclear powers, and um, right. I, th I think the the probability uh, of having a regional conflict, you know, just like with the Cold War with Russia, right, and and the U.S., where when you talk about Angola or or Egypt or um, right. um, you know, even the Israeli conflict was was there, there were the two sides where the Americans backed the Israelis and the Russians backed the the Egyptians, right. Um, where they, you know, and then, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Korea to a certain extent was like that. Uh, yeah. Okay. That was 70 years ago uh, where the, uh, you know, the Chinese actively backed, um, not just backed, but fought. Uh, right. I mean, there were Chinese soldiers fighting in, in North Korea to make sure the, the, the Americans got out of right. the, the peninsula and then stopped at the what, 49th barrel or whatever it was. Yeah. 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 Um, so I, I would say regional con conflicts more so to um, more like service. yeah, and, and strengthen their international standing where they're saying, look, mm -hmm. look at us. Just like with COVID right now, where the Chinese are actively saying, right. see, totalitarian system works. Yeah, right. yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, I mean, and, if, if things are horrifying, then a totalitarian system works, but it's not a, it's not a basis to build a, <laughs> a life on, at least. No, um, no, but exactly. rather, I, I want to spin this into a more positive sense before we end. So I know that you're, <laughs> you're uh, yeah, otherwise it'll be incredibly depressing. Yeah. I know that you're um, part of a, a lot of non, uh, sorry, some uh, nonprofits. Uh, would you mind yeah. to say which ones you are? And maybe, you know, if, if, if you want one of them to be supported, please just give them a shout out. Yeah, my, my biggest involvement 
um, right now is is uh, with two actually related groups. The, the Statesman Project, I think that's the that's the uh, the website. Uh, the Statesman Project, Statesman right. plural, and then the other is the Global Council of Nations. Uh, both of them uh, deal with um, uh, Christian or value based. Um, um, strategies of leadership, uh, economics, social policy. Uh, what is it that we have to do to bring uh, truth and equity into our situation? Statesman is more project-oriented. Uh, Global Council of Nations is um, relationally oriented. So the right. Statesman is, is much more public because uh, people can participate in, in, in that. And um, so I'm, I'm involved in public policy. And okay. you know very much on the on the economic side, um, okay. and, and spend a spend a lot a lot of time on it, um, trying to okay. give input into into different situations. Hmm. Well, well, we'll definitely be sure to link them as well in the description so people can look at that and support them if they have to. But we just have to say thank you so much for your time. This has been an absolutely enlightening um, discussion. I really really enjoyed it. Um, I also recommend people to go and look at your um, books. Uh, you, you have one available and the one is coming soon. Do you have a time frame on that? Yeah, it, it should be out in January. Uh, okay. There, okay. I just the publisher yesterday was saying, hey, 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 where are you? Yeah, said, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm doing all these little very minor, they're all grammatical kind of, there's a period missing here. There's a, you know, all that kind of hard right. Yeah. But it's, well, it's got to be done. So I mean, you can also link him this video and tell him these people are keeping me busy. Seriously, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but thank you so much for talking. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we end this? No, I, you know, I just say, you know, God help us with, with, uh, with a train going down the track. Mm. Um, mm. I, I, it, it, it scares me. Um, mm. You know, really, really, it really does. So. It does, but there is hope. And, and I, I don't oh, yeah. want to... I mean, your, your first book exemplifies how we could avoid this. Yes. So hopefully by sharing the message, getting the discussion going, you know, it's, it's, it's more important um, to get that started than anything else in terms of preparing yes. for it. Yes. Um, yes. But I just want to say thank you so much. Um, this has been Worldview. Thank you so much for watching. If you've made it thus far, you most definitely um, have liked our discussions. We, we encourage people, our watchers, to, to like and subscribe um, and consider donating on Patreon. It's, it's a platform. Um, that enables us to create more of these and have more of these discussions uh, that we value so much. Um, so thank you so much again to Uli and this has been Worldview. Thanks for watching. <laughs>